The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. Rainmaker FM. And welcome back to the Writer Files. I am your host, Kelton Reed, here to take you on another tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of renowned writers. And this week, award-winning podcast host, managing editor of WNYC Studios Note to Self, and author of Bored and Brilliant, How Spacing Out Can Unlock Your Most Productive and Creative Self, Manoush Zomorodi took a moment from her hectic schedule to rap with me about her claim to fame as a podcaster, the neuroscience of boredom, and how to recharge your creative batteries. Manoush is a former globe-trotting journalist and producer for both BBC and Reuters. She's won four New York Press Club awards for her work with New York Public Radio and was named 2017's Best Tech Podcast by the Academy of Podcasters. Her podcast is described as a tech show that searches for answers to life's digital quandaries through experiments and conversations with listeners and experts. Her first book, Bored and Brilliant, is grounded in both neuroscience and cognitive psychology and based on a groundbreaking experiment she conducted with thousands of her podcast listeners to help them unplug from their devices, get bored, and jumpstart their creativity. In addition to her popular TED Talk, How Boredom Can Lead to Your Most Brilliant Ideas, she's appeared on NBC Nightly News, MSNBC, The Dr. Oz Show, and she contributes to NPR, Quartz, Inc., and Radio Lab. In this file, Manoush and I discuss the miracle of technology and its inherent ills, why our favorite algorithms are programmed to distract us, how the author enlisted thousands of podcast listeners for her one-of-a-kind experiment, why you need to change your digital habits to be more creative, the undeniable power of deadlines, and why you need to be aware of technology that claims to solve your problems with more technology. The Writer Files is brought to you by the all-new Studio Press Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for authors, bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those selling physical products, digital downloads, and membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. And if you're a fan of the writer files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. All right, we are rolling once again with a very special guest today. I have 
WNYC's uh, Note to Self podcast uh, host and managing editor, author, journalist, seeker of uh, relentless <laughs> information on the modern human condition. Thanks so much for uh, hopping on here, Manoush Zomarodi. I hope I am pronouncing that correctly. You did just fine, Kelton Reed. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome, awesome. Well, every week on your podcast, you, I guess you're questioning um, the human condition. It's a tech show about being more human. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's more like, you know, we've always had a hard time describing like what the show actually is, but I feel like all the headlines that you're seeing about Facebook and Twitter and Google and people starting to question the outsized role that these tech companies have in our lives. That's what we've kind of been doing all along. So I feel like, yay, our moment is here. Yeah. It's a really sort of every week understanding how this stuff gets built, what, what sort of repercussions it has. Because I think for me, it was this sort of moment that I had where I was like, oh man, like the, it's not just like what app you're going to use. It's like, technology was transforming and like really quickly how we found love, how we parented the work that we do. I mean, the fact that you and I are taping this, you know, and we're in two different cities and I don't know about you, but I'm like in a hotel room and <laughs> doesn't matter, you know, it's, yeah. it's very, very cool. And it all, I think we forget that like five years ago, the world was really different. Yeah, I know. It's very interesting that your show, has been talking about these things. And how long has the show been on, on the air now? It's been, uh, let's see, four years, four years, since four years. 2013, uh, yeah. 20, yeah, around there. Yep. Yeah. And so much has changed. It's like this, uh, just amazing. I mean, we're just overwhelmed with stuff, right? Daily, um, updates and, and, uh, new tech and, and it's just like exponential, right? Yeah. I feel like there's just our to-do list are so long between like making sure you're running the right software to making sure you're, you know, refreshing the headlines because who knows what's happened. Um, yeah. and, and I think the question is though, what happens to some of the stuff that we're doing in real life, so to speak. Yep. Um, but also like, how do we begin to sort of take back, uh, managing all this? I think the, the bloom is off the rose, so to speak. There was this real sort of you know, move fast and break things was Facebook's mantra. Don't do evil was Google's mantra. There was this, you know, they were coming, uh, the tech companies were coming to make everything better. And now we're at the point where we realize, oh no, there are humans behind all this technology. Huh. And when there are humans, that means that algorithms get programmed with human bias and the internet isn't just for sharing art and wonderful ideas on blogs. It's also for sharing hate, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, there's, it's, it's technology is so not a binary. It's not good or bad. There's so many shades of gray. And I think that's where the interesting stories are to me. And that's why podcasting was like the perfect place to sort of explore, tell pr people's personal stories about how technology was changing their lives, understand what sort of difference it was making, and, and then, then try to figure out like how to use it better so we get more of the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have won numerous awards, including a handful from the New York Press Club. You've uh, been featured on NBC Nightly News. You've been uh, a contributor to NPR Radio Lab, lots of cool stuff. And on mm. your podcast, um, you kind of started doing experiments with listeners. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, so yeah, I think you're talking about the first one, which was called Bored and Brilliant, which happened in 2015. Yeah. Yeah. So that was one of, we, I mean, again, it was like one of my 
personal sort of moments where I was like, I, I was having, it was, it wasn't writer's block Kelton. It was like different than writer's block. It was like, there was sand in my brain. Like I couldn't figure out what was going on. I was definitely like a creative, um, like, I don't even know what, not a block. It was like, like everything had solidified. And I was like, what is my problem? Why can't I, why am I having so much trouble coming up with good ideas? And I, it started to sort of dawn on me that maybe it was because all the little cracks in my day, you know, when I used to be waiting in line for coffee and just sort of spacing out, thinking about things, I was now like shoving information into my brain. I was looking at my phone and, um, and it sort of occurred to me that I had not been bored since like basically 2009. And so this was me thinking like, Whoa, if I, isn't, is that a good thing that I haven't been bored? People tell us it's good that boredom is a bad thing that we should avoid it at all costs. But could this be the reason why I, my brain is feeling as stuck as it is? And if I changed my smartphone habits, would that make a difference? And so my lovely podcast listeners, I was asked them, I was like, are you, would you be willing to like play along like with an experiment where every day we just try something different with our smartphone and see what happened. And I, I thought like a couple hundred people would sign up to do it with me and 20,000 people signed up in the first 48 hours. And I was like, Oh, this is a thing. Like people are <laughs> feeling this. They are feeling as though their technology, uh, has turned into more of a taskmaster than the tool. It is really supposed to be a tool that improves our lives. Um, so for one week, every day, uh, these 20,000 people would wake up and they'd get a mini podcast that explained um, the neuroscience between how we, um, what boredom actually does to our brain, um, what happens in our brains, some of the uh, design of the technology that it hijacks that attention of ours. And then they'd get a newsletter with a, with a, a behavior tweak to try that day. And then they would report back. And, um, and it turns out that when you get bored, you know, this was, I had no idea that we're at this incredible moment in neuroscience where we're starting to understand what happens in our minds when we allow it to wander. And it's, we uh, ignite a network in your, our brains called the default mode. And in the default mode, this is when you do your most original thinking. It's when you problem solve. It's when you do something that I had never heard of called autobiographical planning. This is where you look back at your life. You take note of the highs and the lows and you build a personal narrative and then you look forward and you set goals way into the future. It's called perspective bias in psychology speak. And then you set, you know, have, figure out how am I going to reach those goals? So like super important stuff happens in the default mode. Um, but you can't tap that brain power if you're always tapping your screen. So this was this, you know, 20,000 people who experimented and, tried to be spend a little less time on their phones and, and it, it actually worked. Like we had some incredible breakthroughs. Um, and as a consequence, uh, the book version of the project just came out, uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a great book, a truly amazing book. And I think, um, creatives, you know, should seek it out. Um, I mean, anybody could benefit from this. Obviously we're kind of all, dealing with um this technology overload but um it is really hard like I, so i went on a, a 12 city book tour and i just i feel like that is people are really struggling you know the yeah. the the other thing that keeps coming up when i was talking to people is workplace burnout just the you know slack is great and also a huge burden just the pinging the non-stop pinging that people feel like they're they're having a hard time doing the deeper creative work. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, a handful of other uh, great authors have 
have tackled this. I know I'm sure you've you've spoken to her about um, irresistible. I think that was Adam Alter's mm. um, book about the you know kind of the addictive nature of technology as we know it right now. Um, and Cal Newport has talked about you know yeah. kind of deep deep uh He's great flow mm-hmm. stuff and you know it's kind of it, it seems like it's on everybody's mind you know i've spoken with a neuroscientist on this show about kind of the same kind of same ideas about mm. creativity and and um you know kind of how we can better tap into that but this speaks directly to that for me um the book itself bored and brilliant how spacing out can unlock your most productive and creative self it's a fantastic uh look at why these things are important um kind of the neuroscience of boredom and and um building on that experiment that you did and and uh but it's grounded in in that great neuroscience and cognitive psychology piece so uh kudos on the work it's a fantastic book yeah i mean i'm i'm grateful to my listeners because really their very personal experiences are peppered throughout the book um I'm, i'm gonna claim the title of first crowdsourced podcast project turned into a book. Um, so I hope that's okay that I claim that title. <laughs> I, love that. Yeah. I know, right? I'm super grateful to my listeners because they are the reason, you know, their stories and their feedback. I mean, we partnered with apps that people used, which is kind of funny and ironic. Yes. Um, but <laughs> like measure. So we have like, we had a data set that we were able to sort of, um, you know, really look and see which behavior tweaks made the biggest difference to people's creativity, mm-hmm. um, and problem solving. Um, and then they also really reported back with extremely personal stories. Like this guy, Liam, he's an actor in Los Angeles. And he, um, one of the challenges that we asked people to do was delete an app off their phone. And Liam, I love him. He's such an extremist. He deleted every single social media app off his phone. (laughs) Wow. We just asked people to do it for a day. Like we were like, you know, just for a day, see what it's like not to have the notifications and the, and the itchy thumb to check these things. And two years later, he got back in touch and he said that he never put them back on his phone, the apps like Twitter, Facebook, all the rest of them. And that because he just felt that he liked his life better and actually he liked himself better without those apps constantly calling out to him to sort of his, you know, his superego, I guess, like post here. Don't you want to see like the amazing lives that everybody else is having? Is yours, you know, good enough? He was like, I don't need this. <laughs> so now, you know, for him, this is what worked. He doesn't have them on his phone. Yes, he's still on these platforms, but he does it purposefully. He sits down at a computer, he does his 20 minutes and then he logs off. Um, and that works for him. But I think, you know, we heard from some people who they liked the feeling for a day and that was enough for them. It just was a nice reminder that they have control over these platforms. And for other people, you know, it depends on your personality. For some people it was like, whoa, this has been eating up my brain power. I don't, I don't want this. And they've de- some, I mean, Brooke Gladstone, the host of on the media deleted Facebook after reading my book, which I thought was kind of crazy. That's amazing. Like she got off the platform. She killed her profile. Uh, (laughs) I was like, you know, Brooke, that wasn't my intention. Like it's not, it's not that I'm saying like, Oh yeah, these things are terrible. Cause I think they can be really wonderful. I love my phone, but she was like, Nope. I read the science done. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow. Mercy is the bow. A DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. 
And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Yeah. So, I mean, this, uh, this constant need for our attention that technology demands uh is is draining our brains of, of that ability to create and this great system uh that you set up uh, or these practical steps rather um to kind of uh quell the cult of busyness that we have um are great and there's seven steps right yeah um mm-hmm. for changing your digital habits and and so listeners find the book bored and brilliant um it is really fantastic and and uh, your website, uh, manoushz.com, I believe, mm-hmm. um, has That's all, the, all that on. information about the podcast, the book, um, kind of some other suggestions for the podcast and a lot of great information there. So I will link to that, of course. But I really want to get into your, your process as a writer because my, mm. my, my guess is that you had to put a lot of these into practice to sit down. <laughs> and we talked about this earlier, how writing a book can be kind of boring. And uh, surely... You had to put a lot of these um, to use to get all of these words together from the podcast and all these different experts and and, um, case studies and all that. So let's talk about how you did it. Yeah. So so you're not only this was new for me. Yeah. Tell you that. So this is your first book, your first nonfiction um, book, and so you had to. I mean, you've got a full time job. You've got kids. You've got yeah. a life. Um, how did you uh, manage to schedule the time to read, research, and then start to get all of the pieces together for this fantastic book? Mm-hmm. Well, I think you know, I started with a base of of information, like the fact that I was basing the book on a project that I had done so much research for and so many interviews for, and had gotten so many stories that, like that part, I felt like I wasn't like climbing into the abyss that I imagine many authors are that are like, have, you know, starting from scratch. Like I had already come up with this stuff and I already kind of, I I had a, I knew what I wanted the book to be. Um, so that I think, you know, was good. And then it was just getting my butt in a chair and filling in the holes and doing the hard part. What I find, 
I can, you know, for me, Kelton, like I've been a broadcast journalist for like ugh, 20 years now. So writing for radio or writing for video or TV, that comes very easily to me. But writing pa like pages, like text is quite difficult. And, um, and I found it, you know, it, it, in very tiring, very draining, as I'm sure some of your listeners uh, know all too well, that huh. like I could only really do a couple pages at once, but I'm not the type of person who, um, just sits down and bangs it out. Like I'm cutting and pasting and putting it together and then moving it around. And, and, and there's a lot of like connecting ideas that were not connected in the original project. Um, and you know, and, and also speaking to a new audience, right? Because what I wanted, I didn't want like, oh, I made a book for the podcast listener. Like, right. you know, my, my goal was for people to find the book first and then maybe get interested in listening to the podcast. So, um, well, one of the things I did was I joined a silent workspace. I don't know if you have those. <laughs> and that's a new concept. <laughs> this to is me. like a, yeah, so it's the Brooklyn writer space and um you are not allowed to speak when you are in the writing room. Uh you're not allowed to eat when you're in the writing room. Um huh. and that's what I need. I needed I needed quiet. I really needed long like I needed 3 to 4 hours at a stretch of quiet. Huh. Is what I discovered. And that made sense to me because when I write the show, I need 3 to 4 hours solid like in a row. Um so that made sense. I was like, okay, so that's that works for me. I can, you know, in terms of energy, right? Like I can, I can go that long. I'll take breaks and whatever, get a cup of coffee or something. But, um, that works for me, like these chunks, um, which makes sense, you know, according to the science as well. So, so I was like, all right, I just have to, I know what works for me. I know how I get my thoughts out, but now you just have to do it in a different form and try not to freak out. And it's not that different. Right. So like, I think what you find though in the book is that it's a very, um, conversational voice, less mm -hmm. academic, um, simply because I don't know any other way to write. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It, it's, uh, it's a great read and, and it just kind of pulls you along through different pieces and it definitely kind of echoes a lot of, uh, what's going on with your, with your podcast as well. Mm. So both very accessible because it does, it does touch on a lot of like high concept, um, I mean, not everybody knows what an fMRI is, obviously. Right. Uh, <laughs> sometimes. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, like an fMRI. Exactly. And like when you live in the world of public radio, you, you do start to assume because like it feels like every other episode of any podcast you listen to made by public radio is about an fMRI or something. But, <laughs> but no, it's uh, yeah. No, it's the ability to see how um, networks are lighting up in your brain essentially with an fMRI. Um, yeah. I have been in an fMRI. It is extremely uncomfortable. You have to stay very, very still and it's like you're being entombed. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, no, it, like, so it's, and that to me was, I think the challenge of marrying the, you know, kind of hardcore science plus some of the history of boredom, which is fascinating, like the semantics of it, the fact like it didn't even show up on the printed page until Dickens in the mid 1800s, kind of amazing. So some of that, you know, some of the, the um, I guess you would say the like, you know, the oatmeal part, like it's good for you, but then also bringing in my personal experience with all this, plus my listeners experience with it, plus the data, plus the fact that I'm very into having practical 
steps and things you can do. I, I hate it when you read something and, and they're like, yep, it's a big problem. And I'm always like, yeah, but then what are we supposed to do about it? How do we fix it? So like I needed it to be all these things that I wanted. Um, and, and that, that, that was the challenge I think for me. Um, yeah. and, and, and so I think organizing it similar to how the podcast series did organized my brain essentially. For sure. Yeah. I'm sure that came very handy. So, so you're, you're sitting in a, a quiet writing space, no headphones, I'm assuming. Um, mm. and there are other writers there. Yes. So do you think there's something also psychological? I know I've read something similar to, uh, when you're in a, in a public space and everybody's kind of working and has their eyes on each other, it motivates you to look busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I, I don't think I'm not, I don't think anybody's looking at anybody else, but I <laughs> am a strong because they're like carols kind of. So you're, um, you oh, don't really, but, um, so you could, like, I have walked past people and seen that they're watching crappy YouTube videos. I mean, maybe it's for research. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe buying those shoes, um, those booties is for research too. But, um, but I think to me, it's very much about like, you know, there's, and there's lots of books about this too. I'm thinking of Charlie Duhigg's book about habits, but like mm -hmm. this idea that you associate a place with your best thinking, you know what I mean? So I think it takes a while, but then when you show up to that place, you're like, oh, this is where I do my best work. And hmm. then it just becomes like a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, having yep. said that, I feel like the one thing I did miss was, um, so this is like hot desks at this workspace that I belong to. Sorry if this is getting way in the weeds. I love talking about co-working spaces. This, this I'm like great. a little bit obsessed. Um, <laughs> so I'm a very visual person and I like to have um, charts and post-it notes and I like to draw timelines and see how things have progressed and all of that. But because you know, I didn't own the walls. I couldn't leave stuff there. Um, I found that quite difficult. You know, at the end of the day, you pack everything up into your backpack and you go home. Um, hmm. I, I thought a lot about like Virginia Woolf and a, a room of one's own and, and how if I, you know, and, and maybe that's my goal. Like if I have an, my own sort of writing space where I could leave my shit, um, just like I, I need, I like having post-it notes everywhere and visual cues and, seeing how things, you know, there's a little bit of a homeland Carrie Matheson element, like that you're <laughs> connecting disparate ideas and suddenly you see like what it all means, you know, like I need that. I'm a visual thinker. So I found that very difficult to be stuck inside my laptop and I not being able to switch around between things. Um, my desk at work, I have visual, like I have, oh my God, we have charts and post-it notes and all that sort of stuff, but I can't work it at the radio station. There's just no way. Yeah. Um, cause radio people love to talk. And, um, <laughs> yeah, can't do it. Yeah, yeah. So there is something about separating the two spheres of kind of your brain almost. I think so. I mean, you know, the way I looked at it, I'm very, well, I have kids too, right? So like I have to be very regimented. So the way I have it now, and I don't know if this is going to change because we're thinking of changing up things at the show, but um, Mondays and Tuesdays is in the office. Wednesdays is for writing, um, Thursdays is for interviews and Fridays is for, um, busy work, like emails and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. that's how I like, and you know, I think I've, I've heard that like Jack Dorsey at Twitter does this too. Like each day has like a purpose. Hmm. Um, and that really works for me because it also works with how I've structured childcare. And, um, you know, I think if I was a single person, I would relish the flexibility, but since I have 
you know, my kids and my husband's and my child caretaker's schedules to all juggle and the freaking school calendar, which kills me. <laughs> like all of that, do you know what I mean? I, I mm-hmm. have to be very rigid and very disciplined. I mean, that is the hardest part is the, the, the calendar and the scraping out the time and saying to your spouse, like, I know it's Saturday night, dude, I'm sorry. I can't watch Netflix with you. I have to go from six to 10 to my writing space. Cause otherwise it's just not gonna happen. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the reason why I could pick up the kids on Wednesday at three. You know what I mean? For sure. Um, well, how do you feel about writer's block? Did you ever, did you run up against Mm -hmm. it at all or is it a thing? You know, I'm very, very deadline oriented. Um, and I did have a researcher working with me on the book just to sort of help me out in certain spots because I was making the podcast as I was writing the book as well. I didn't take time off. Um, and I think having her, um, I would always say to her, like, give me a deadline, but when you need that chapter back with the questions I have for you that I need you to find out. Like, so just having, like, I would always say, like, give me a deadline, give me a deadline, give me a deadline. I'm, I'm, I'm a journalist. I work really well to deadlines. Mm-hmm. I need a fire under my butt. So, um, and I think, you know, that, that I have to say that's the other thing that becoming a parent has been made me ex- much more efficient than I have been in the past. Um, it, if you are paying the babysitter, you know, 20 bucks an hour, and even if you're just 10 minutes late, you will get it done and you <laughs> will, you know, you will make it happen. Um, and I would th- say that the other thing is that's helped me is I think as I've gotten older, you know, I'm sure you've heard this before that like, I know the first draft is going to suck yeah. and the second draft's not going to be very good either, but I, I have faith in the process and I, I know that, um, and, and that very much is very meta, which is what the book is about, which this idea that like, we've gotten to a point in our society where, and I see this particularly with some of the young people who've been on the book tour, like they think that they, if they have a thought, then it's not a thought unless it's shared, you know? picks or it didn't happen. But I I think that's become actually part of the thought process as well, that they, the thought, the idea of having a thought and not telling someone about it seems very odd. So to tell them like, no, we don't need more opinions in this world. Like actually what we need is more problem solving. <laughs> um, so, yeah. you know, sit on your thoughts, let them germinate. They, they're probably pretty mediocre. Most thoughts are, and it's not until you've really, work them in some way that maybe they get to a point where they're outstanding and they're worth, um, sharing. You know, I, I really feel like we've gotten confused. We've, we've, we're mistaking, um, react reactivity for productivity. We think that, you know, the constant conversations for checking in or seeing what's going on. Um, we think that's being productive, right? <laughs> that it's, but really it's being reactive and being reactive as we know is never going to be, you know, I mean, look at the president's Twitter feed. It is never going to be the big solutions. Um, and, and we need this next generation to be able to do some extremely, um, God, do we have problems that they, we need them to come up with original solutions to. So um, that, you know, that, that has been for me, just a segue, has been the most rewarding part of this book is the number of teachers and professors who have said that they're going to, that they're using it in their classrooms. Um, because, you know, if That's we can great. make it, if we can make it fun and interesting and, and there's, yes, there's science, but there's also stories and it's funny and you, things you can try, like, um, it's not dry and academic. It's, it's real. And, um, and, 
and it's it's about all of us figuring it all out together because we are living in a, a one big experiment right now every day that we constantly sign terms of service that we don't read it's just one <laughs> big experiment which oh, is exciting man. but it also means like let's talk about it yeah yeah i come back to um einstein's uh i think he called it combinatory play mm, um, what's that and actually you know who wrote about it is uh, Maria Popova. Oh, I love her. She's who, in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Who you mentioned in the book, mm-hmm. um, who actually did this. Uh, f- she did this interview in a written format. Um, oh, really? A cu- couple, three or four years ago, I think. Cool. Um, yeah, but, she's very strict about what she does. So <laughs> yeah. She should be flattered. Um, she, uh, she wrote about it, but uh, yeah, he just said, uh, basically co- coined the term combinatory play, the essential feature in productive thought mm. before there's any connection with logical construction of words. And he was a big proponent of, you know, just, be, you know, boredom or whatever, um, mm-hmm. kind of toying with ideas in your mind and, and taking long, aimless walks as many great authors have been in the past. But yes, the walks totally. Um, I love it. All such good stuff. Um, okay. A couple quick questions for you on workflow. Mac, yeah. or, Mac or PC? Mac. Uh, Scrivener or Microsoft Word? Mm, I was doing Google Docs because uh. most podcasts run on Google Docs. But yeah. then my researcher was like, what are you doing? If you're <laughs> publishing, you have to go with Word. So I switched yeah. over to Word. I see. I see. But I had to like buy, like when was the last time I purchased something from Microsoft? So I had to like <laughs> buy something from Microsoft. and. So that like I could see track changes. I was like, what are yeah. track changes? Can we just do Google Docs? No. <laughs> um, do you have a, a couple organizational hacks for writers that you uh, rely on? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm obsessed with my to-do list. Obsessed. Um, so Daniel Levitin, the neuroscientist who wrote a book called The Organized Mind, has come on the show. And of course, I like sucked him dry for like how I should organize my mind. <laughs> and his whole thing is that with your to-do list, like it can't just be a running list. Um, first of all, you have to put every single thing that ever comes into your brain on the list. And then you have to organize them by priority and you have to schedule them. Mm. Sounds tedious, but let me tell you the amount of brain space that it opens up because you're not trying to remember things Yeah, is great. So I use uh, an app called, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not paid by them or anything. I use Todoist and I really like it. It works for me. Yeah, I really, I'm a little obsessed with Todoist. I, I just, I, I, cause I know the minute I'm like, what should I be doing? Look down at Todoist and it has the answer. Yeah. You should be responding to that email. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm just constantly adding stuff, but I know that like, it's, it's, it's like a big net for all the dumb shit that's going on in my head. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do you beat procrastination? Uh, having children. Uh-huh. You cannot procrastinate. It's just not allowed. Like, <laughs> they need to eat dinner. Like, tough. Yeah. Um, how does Manoush Z unplug <laughs> at the end of a hard day? Well, this is controversial in my world. Um, so as I think it's chapter five outlines in my book, um, the way that I was let's say unwinding instead of unplugging was I was playing this game. It's a stupid game. It's very beautiful. It's called two dots. It's a really, it's like candy crush, but like Brooklyn artisanal kind mm-hmm. of. Um, and that like, instead of, you know, having a glass of wine or meditating, like we're all supposed to be doing, I was playing this game 
Um, but like to the point where my husband would come in the room and I'd be, he'd be like, what you doing? I'd like throw the phone under the bed and be like, Oh, just relaxing. Like it was becoming a problem. Um, and so in my world, you can call an expert and get them to figure it like out what's going on. So I spoke to Jane McGonigal. Um, I don't know if you know her, she's an author. You should have her on your show. She's great. She's a futurist at the Institute for the future and she's a game designer and she studies the neurological effects of games on emotion mm. and, um, and, uh, ambition, um, and motivation. Um, and so she made me rethink it. She's like, well, the game is obviously serving some sort of purpose to you. Um, and I was like, well, what if I'm addicted? She's like, you know, the, the concept of addiction is going through a radical makeover right now. I don't think you're addicted if that's the word you want to use. She's like, I think you can set a timer and, and enjoy what it's giving you, which is a sort of changing of your mindset to go into like, just like bringing it down a notch and not thinking too hard. So now I play my game for about five minutes and that's it. <laughs> and, um, and then I'll, what do I do? I, 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 there's nothing I enjoy more than being in bed at like nine o'clock and reading the New Yorker. I mean, mm. there's just like, that is bliss to me. That is bliss, especially if the bed's been made and like, you know what I mean? Like you're not getting into like a unmade bed. Like it has to like have been made. <laughs> My kids are asleep. Like, Oh yeah, that is just awesome. My kids are asleep. And the bed is made, like maybe even fresh sheets. And then there's like, you know, there's that New Yorker article and you've already read a couple pages and you're really into it. And they're like 20 more pages to go. And you're like, yes, let's do it. <laughs> I find that extremely re relaxing. It's funny. Um, I kind of imagined you reading um, Wired for some reason. Oh, God, no. I can't read about something that I've been thinking about all day. <laughs> Because then I'll start coming up with ideas, right? That's right. the, that's like, I have to read articles. I mean, I will read about anything like North Korea, Anthony Bourdain, you name it, but I can't read about tech because then I'm like, oh, we should have done that. Why aren't we doing this? What is that? How does that relate to that? You know? Um, but I, I do think like what I've seen is I started out as a tech and business reporter and that's really changed in that technology like i don't even think we're going to be using the word tech or digital in like five years it just is our life you know so so i love reading i oh i love like wellness articles this whole trend in wellness i find really fascinating because i think it really does relate to technology what we're talking about is our our mental health and how we care you know getting on twitter do not get on twitter before bed i have to you know it's hard for me not to but that's yeah so i, I can't read wired no i love you wired but i'll read you during the day all right a couple of questions on creativity you run up against so many uh creative minds mm. in your in your world um do you, can you define creativity for us kind of your own take on it yeah so for me i define it in the book in an extremely unscientific way that it's when you see glitter being sprinkled on your life. What the hell does that mean? So to me, and I saw this with the results of the original Bored and Brilliant project, right? Okay, I think many people, especially when they're listening to a tech show, are like, oh, creativity means you came up with a new idea for a startup, a startup that had a 10x you know, exit return, <laughs> made all this billions of dollars or whatever, a unicorn, like the very word unicorn sounds like creativity. Um, but what I really saw was that people define creativity in so many different ways, you know, and it could be that you spaced out on the subway and you came up with 
an amazing way to combine all the weird leftovers that are in your refrigerator into a delicious meal. That is creativity. Or it can be helping, um, coming up with a, a way to help your kid make friends at school. That is creativity. It is, it is finding a way to make things a little better in a way that doesn't seem obvious to me. And that can, that really can be very, very small. And I think those little moments of creativity are what sometimes, sometimes we get it on our phones. Like, you know, if we make something amazing on Instagram and we feel like we've been creative, absolutely. But I think, um, our physical world deserves the same sort of love and attention that sometimes we don't give it as often. Um, I just think of myself like the amount of time that I spent on Pinterest Mm. to understand how to be creative, to make my house look like, do you know what I mean? Like just stop and just be in your house and like (laughs) think of, you know what I mean? That, that, um, I think we're looking to other people, like what does creativity look like? Whereas it's just, it can be very, very small, you know? Um, uh, so that to me is what creativity is. And it is combining. I think this is a, uh, maybe the Einstein definition too, combining of two ideas into something new, just, you know, yeah, there's nothing really original, but it's when you take two things together and smash it and mush it up and make something new. And, and, um, and you don't need to get recognition for it. And I mm. think that that's something that we've lost is you don't, you don't need to have somebody tell you well done, or that's really creative or nice job. No, you, it's okay for you to know that you had a creative moment and it feels really good. Mm-hmm. Well, in your estimation, what makes a writer great? What makes great writing? Gosh. Hmm. That is such a good question. It's emotion. I mean, it's when I, you know, I, again, I go back to what I know, which is making video and making audio and, and the best moments are where you, do you just, you stir someone, right? Um, and I can, and I find that with, you know, video and audio, you can do that with a sound or a a piece of music or a way you say something, you have much more control, or at least I do. I find it easier for me. Uh, and, and what really wonderful authors when they can use a word that it's, you know, it's just ink on a page and yet it stirs you in some way. That is, that's a good author and and something I certainly strive to be. I, I would hope that my second book achieves it more often than the first, but I hope every author feels that way. I'm assuming every author feels that way too. (laughs) Are you working on a second? I want to. Yeah. I haven't, I still like need to get over the first, I think, but I do have, yeah, I have an idea for a second one that I feel like people have been really asking about on the book tour. So Mm. yeah, it's daunting though. Now that you, you know, ignorance is bliss. Once you know what goes into writing a book, you're like, Oh shoot, how (laughs) is that going to happen? Right. So it's in the incubation phase. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. One fun one for you. If you could choose any author from any era for an all expense paid dinner to your favorite spot, who would you take and where would you take them? That is really tough. This is very difficult. You know who I was, I, I can think of exactly who it would have been at the age of 21, which was um, Fowler, the one who wrote the French lieutenant's uh, wife and the, the Magus mm. and um, old school British men was <laughs> authors. That was my thing for a long time. Um, oh 
gosh, you know, I read so much nonfiction now that it's hard for me to even think of who that would be. You know who I would like to hang out with? Dude, why is this? I'm like having, you know, Richard Scary. That's who it's going to be. <laughs> Perfect. Richard Scary. Uh, he's super weird stuff in those books. Like my kids are obsessed with them. I had them as a child. Yeah. Very, very strange. These German pigs who are eating like pigs eating hot dogs while wearing later hosen. Like what was going on in this man's mind? Like uh, my my brother bought the wet, the URL. What do people do all day? Which is brilliant. And then the scary estate called him and asked to buy it. And I, I don't think they ever did anything with it. But um, Richard Scary, what do people do all day? These, these children's books where you know the ones, pig yes and pig no. <laughs> you remember those? Of course. Is this ringing any bells? Okay, good. Oh, yeah. yeah. Richard Scary, I want to know what was going through that man's mind. Love it. Love it. Where would you, where would you take him? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Well, where would we go? We'd go to the zoo. <laughs> Perfect. For a hot dog. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, to wrap up here, um, I will, of course, link to the book, Bored and Brilliant, How Spacing Out Can Unlock Your Most Productive and Creative Self, uh, based on Minutia's interactive project with tens of thousands of listeners to empower readers to transform their digital anxiety into self-knowledge, autonomy, and action to unplug from information overload. Love it. Um, I will link to that. And of course, your uh, website, minutiaz.com. Anything else you want to point listeners at before we leave them with one final thought? Well, you know, I was just thinking like I've talked to a lot of writers on the road who are very big fans of things like um, freedom, like plugins Mm -hmm. that keep you off the Internet uh, while you're writing. Um, I'm not a fan of that myself, Um, but I would just say beware of technology to solve your problems with technology. You have the self-knowledge to know what will work for you. And if you claim not to, you're lying. (laughs) You know what you need to do and you can do it. Love it. Perfect way to wrap up. I believe that instinctually. And it's funny because the steps in your book, I think, um, you know, it's like everybody's probably thought about these things or or taken a few steps, but um, the steps themselves Mm. um, are great. Uh, you know, just a, a guide wire to get you a little further towards being more creative and more and productive. And that, that's interesting that you say that because that's exactly what people say. Like, I knew that I needed to do these things, but you laying it out specifically and for a very short amount of time made it possible to give it a try. Um, and I think that that's what people need is they need permission uh, to, 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 to make a change to some of their creative habits and, and, and reasons why, right? We want proof. We want data. We want science. Um, and so, um, no excuses (laughs) for sure. For sure. Well, of course I will link to the podcast, the fantastic show. I'm a big fan note to self and, uh, your Ted talk. I forgot to mention how boredom can lead to your most brilliant ideas. I know you talk about it on your show. Um, and it is a fantastic Ted talk. It's got over like 1.3 million views or something like that. But, uh, I I will link to that also. (laughs) That was terrifying. We can talk about that next time. (laughs) Okay. Hey, please come back and thank you so much for, uh, super fun. Kelton, thank you so much for having me on. And we'll be sure to, um, let every, all of our listeners know too. We'll, we'll link to it in the newsletter and, and, push people your way because i know um i'm sure we have some interesting demographic crossovers so oh. that'd be great thank you thank you it was a cool, pleasure yeah. our pleasure awesome this was super fun 
Thanks so much for joining me on another tour of the writer's process. If you enjoy the Writer Files podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or review to help other writers find us. For more episodes or to leave a comment or a question, you can drop by writerfiles.fm and you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you soon. Bye.